Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. Not ringing? Okay. All right, there we go. All right, that's good. All right, anyway, uh, go ahead and get your Bibles open to Acts chapter number 25. Acts chapter number 25. Now, uh, this morning, we are finishing up our study on the book of Acts. Uh, this is our 20th week studying the book of Acts. So we've been in Acts for a very long time, uh, which sounds like, man, that's a long time. But y'all from New Horizon, remember, I took a year and a half to get through the Lord, the Sermon on the Mount. You know, three chapters, I took a year and a half. So uh, I can stretch out a series. Uh, but we have been going kind of chapter by chapter. Uh, this morning, we're, we're really going to blow through... Uh, the last part of the book of Acts, chapter 25 through chapter 28. We're going to kind of rush through it. So you need to listen quickly, read quickly. We'll get through it quickly, I promise. Uh, But how many of you have ever been uh, either near or in a tornado or a hurricane? I remember me in April, we were in a Bible college in Indiana, and they had tornadoes up there all the time. And usually we'd get a warning and it was no big deal. I remember one time my mom was up there and we got a tornado warning that it was coming through. And so we uh, decided it was best for us to leave the area. So we went to Walmart. That was far away. Uh, say, why'd you do that? Because we lived in a trailer park. And uh, tornadoes and trailer parks do not mix very well. Uh, but then there was another time uh, we, were, we were home. We didn't get any warning. I remember I was showering. I just gotten off work and I was showering and the light started flickering. And I get out of the shower and I wrap a towel. And I was like, what are you doing? You're talking, like April's in there flicking the breaker on and off. Uh, I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm not doing nothing. Something's going. So I, I put on some, some clothes and I go outside and the sky, I mean, this is, it's, it's bright daylight, but the sky is like dark green and trees are bending over. And I'm like, oh Lord, this is it. And so we had a, uh, we both worked for the property manager and we had an office in the area. So we went to the office because it was the only brick structure in the whole trailer park. And we're like, well, they can just, they can destroy our trailer. We're going to be here safe. And it was, it was terrible wind. Uh, but luckily, or not luckily, because of God, uh, the tornado came right up, jumped our neighborhood and destroyed the neighborhood on each side of us. And uh, so stunk to be them, praise to be us. Uh, but I remember it was loud. What about the duratio? How many of you remember the duratio around here from 2012? Uh, we were up in Salem at that time. We lived uh, right up on Skyview Drive, and uh, we kind of right behind the Walmart, right up on that mountain, and we overlooked the entire Roanoke Valley. And I remember we didn't get anything there. We had no wind. We had no rain. We had nothing. But I remember I'm sitting in my living room, and I thought, now, that we could see the airport from our porch, and we could see planes, you know, landing and taking off. We were kind of in the flight path. And I remember hearing something. I thought, a plane just crashed in our woods. It was just so loud. And so I go outside to see the plane that had crashed near my, near my house. Uh, and it hadn't, but I could, I could see down in the valley. And I heard just this huge rushing wind going through. The, I heard trees snapping, saw transformers blowing. And again, we're up on the mountain. We had no problem. I mean, we were watching y'all who were in the valley get destroyed and thinking, praise God, we're not in the valley. And uh, we didn't lose power. We didn't have any problems. You know, if some of you lost power for like a week, 10 days, feel bad for you. 
our air, although our air conditioner did go out, one of our air conditioners, and so we were a little warm for that time because it took them a while to get up there to fix it. But uh, just that, that sound of the ratio coming through and just sounds like a, a plane crash, just, just huge roaring. Acts chapter 2 tells us that is how the Holy Spirit sounded when he came to the church. The Bible says that the Spirit descended like a mighty rushing wind. Now, when you look at the Greek word for mighty rushing wind, it really gives the connotation, because we see the same word here in Acts, uh, the later chapter of Acts, uh, when Paul gets caught in a storm. It uses the, the implication of a, a hurricane, just a huge, tremendous wind. Now, some of you, you may have noticed the fans are still going because the air conditioner part still hasn't come in. Thank you, you know, shipping delays. Uh, but, you know, you can hear the fans. That's not what the Holy Spirit coming in sounded like. It wasn't a gentle breeze. It wasn't a fan. Now, when I sleep, I, I need white noise when I sleep. Uh, so I ha we have a fan going all the time, but I also have a white noise app on my phone. I, ha I have to have just that constant kind of fan white noise. That's not what it sounded like. It sounded like a hurricane or tornado coming in. And this, this tremendous sound of the Holy Spirit coming to the church, it propelled the first believers, it propelled the church to take the gospel to the entire known world. Now when we look at the end of the book of Acts, now the book starts in Jerusalem, and it ends with Paul going to Rome. 3,000 miles away from where it all started in Jerusalem. Now, the, the book of Acts ends in Acts chapter 28. But the story of Acts is still being written today. Because the book of Acts is the story of God using His people filled with His Spirit and His church to take the gospel to the world. And that's what we are still called to do. We are called to take the gospel to the ends of the earth just like the first believers did. See, it doesn't end with the Apostle Paul because the book of Acts was never about Paul. It was about what the Spirit of God wanted to do through the church. It's the story of what the Spirit does through us in our world for God's kingdom for the spreading of the gospel. So in the last few chapters of the book of Acts, Luke, he kind of recounts very quickly Paul's journey to Rome. He talks about how Paul felt led to go to Rome and how he finally ends up getting to Rome. But in these, these last several chapters, we see four things that the Holy Spirit wants to see in our lives as we continue the journey and continue the story that was started back in Acts chapter 2 through the Spirit of God. So get in Acts chapter 25. Here's the first thing that the Spirit wants to see in our lives as we continue the story of the book of Acts. Number one, be challenging. Be challenging. Now last week we saw in Acts chapter 20 how Paul gave his kind of farewell address to the church at Ephesus. He, he was leaving. He figured he's never going to speak to them again, never going to have a chance to communicate with them. We know he does because he writes the book of Ephesians, which is a letter to the church at Ephesus. doesn't get to go back there, but he does get to communicate with them. But he figures, this is it, I'm going to Rome, I'm going to die. 
And so he gives this kind of farewell address, and then he leaves to go to Rome. But before he goes to Rome, he goes to Jerusalem. And he wants to go to Jerusalem to observe the Passover, to kind of speak to some of his former friends and Jews there to kind of give the gospel to them before he goes to Rome. Now, God had told him, don't go to Jerusalem, but Paul, he does it anyway. And so he gets there, he observes the Passover, and while he's there, some of the Jewish leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, they recognize him as who he is. They know he's there to spread the gospel, and they have been doing everything they can to stop the spread of the gospel. So they go to the Roman officials and say, there's this guy here named Paul who is trying to start an uprising against Caesar. He's trying to overthrow the Roman government. Now, of course, that's not true at all, but they had to have some reason for Paul to get arrested. So the Roman governments, they, they arrest Paul, they kind of investigate some things, and they discover he's not there to start a rebellion. He's not there to overthrow Caesar, but he is causing problems. But he's kind of in a gray area. Yes, he's a Orthodox Jew, he's a religious, a, a by-birth Jew, a cultural Jew, but he's also a Roman citizen. So he's got this kind of dual citizenship that they can't just kill him because he's causing problems, because he's a, he's a, he's a Roman. They want to because they don't really like the Jews, so they don't really know what to do with him. So they put him in prison, and they leave him there for two years. For two years, he's forgotten about. He's ignored. He's just left to rot in prison. Now, it's one thing to be persecuted for your faith. But Paul's just been forgotten. Now, during this time, he does write several letters to churches he helped start throughout his uh, missionary journeys. And we, we have these letters in our New Testament. A lot of them became part of our New Testament we have today. But eventually, the governor that put him in prison forgot about him, Felix. Felix is replaced by a new governor, Festus. Kind of sounds like one of the Adams family characters, but it's not. Uh, I think there is an Uncle Festus or something like that. Uh, but anyway, so he's replaced by Festus. And Festus, he starts looking at some of the things he's supposed to be doing, kind of looking at some paperwork, what, is like, what he's supposed to be doing as governor. And he comes across Paul in Paul's case. And he's, he's very interested Paul is a very interesting character. So he, he calls Paul to him. So Paul's been in prison for, again, for two years. No one's cared about him. No, none of the Roman people have tried to, tried to figure out what's going on. They just said, stick him in prison, leave him in prison. He'll be done. We, he won't bother us anymore. He's been forgotten about. He has written letters, but no one's really thought about Paul much. So Paul comes before Festus, and Festus really wants to know, why are you in prison? Why, why do we throw you in jail? What, what did you do? But the only thing Paul says is, I appeal to Caesar. As a Roman citizen, Paul had the right to kind of bypass every Roman official and go straight to Caesar himself. See, and Caesar, whatever he, Caesar was like our Supreme Court. But you can, you know, you, you, you have a case and you have to go through the, the general court, the circuit court, the regional, you have to go through all these different levels to get to the Supreme Court. Once you get to the Supreme Court, their decision is final. And that's it. And what they say is Caesar was the same way. Whatever Caesar decided on your case was it. You could not appeal to anybody else. You could go to a lower, lower court to get it done. But as a Roman citizen, Paul could bypass all those other steps and go straight to Caesar. Now, 
it's a risky move. Because yes, he can go straight to Caesar and appeal his case, and Caesar can release him, and Caesar can do whatever, but Caesar could also say, you're getting on my nerves, cut off his head. Which is eventually what happens to Paul. And the Caesars, they, they weren't typically considered fair individuals. Most of them weren't considered the most mentally stable people in the world. During this time, Nero is Caesar. And he was famous for his cruelty and his wickedness. He, before he became Caesar, he brutally murdered his mother and two wives. Say, why? Because they didn't cook him food or something like that. It's just ridiculous. There's a famous saying, you know, Nero played the fiddle while Rome burned. He allowed, now, did he really play the fiddle? I don't know. I don't know if he played the fiddle. I don't know what happened. But the whole point is, he allowed Rome to be, to be ransacked and to be burned. And while Rome was burning, while his citizens were suffering, he didn't care. He just did whatever he wanted to do. So he's not a, a, a very fair or wise Caesar to appeal to, but Paul really doesn't have an option. So, plus... Paul wants to get to Rome. He wants to take the gospel to Rome. And if he is brought before Caesar, Caesar's not coming to Jerusalem. He's going to have to go to Rome. So he knows this is a great way for me to get to Rome so I can give the gospel to the Roman people like God has called me to do. But before sending him to Rome, another governor comes to see Paul. His, the word of who Paul is and what Paul has done is kind of spread throughout the region and He's a very interesting person. And so Agrippa comes to see Paul. He wants to hear from Paul personally. So look at Acts chapter 25. Look at verse number 22. <clears throat> then Agrippa said to Festus, I would also hear the man himself. Tomorrow, said he, thou shalt hear him. Now, this is, this is in there. I'm, I'm focused on this verse because this is, this is odd. Two governors of two different regions of the area coming together to hear from this one prisoner was unheard of. What made Paul so special? Why was Paul such an anomaly that not only did Festus, when he comes into power, wants to hear from him, but now Agrippa comes down. and He's a higher-ranking governor than, than Festus. He comes down and he wants to hear from Paul. He wants to know what's going on. So Festus, uh, he throws this big party for the local authorities, and the, the centerpiece of the party is Paul defending himself to Agrippa, defending himself to the uh, Roman governors. Now, Agrippa, he wants to know why the Jews hate Paul. What has he done that is so bad the Jews want to have him killed? Why is he in prison? Now, he wants to actually hear his case because he wants to free Paul. If he can, if he can let Paul go and say, these, these charges are stupid and I can free you, if he wants to do that, he can. But here's the point. People constantly wanted to know what made Paul tick. What made Paul live the way he did? Why was he so different than everybody else? Why was he so passionate about his beliefs? Because Paul was a well-educated Jewish religious leader before he gets converted. 
He, he could have stayed in the Jewish religion, made a big name for himself, maybe one day become a high priest or worked in the temple. He could have done a lot of things. He was educated, and he was a Roman citizen. Paul had basically the entire world in front of him. As a well-educated Pharisee, he could have made money in the Jewish religion. As a Roman citizen, he could have owned land. He could have owned property. He could have made a lot of money for himself and made a name for himself and gotten power and prestige but he gave it all up for this Jesus guy. He gave it all up to go around the world to get beaten, to get stoned, to get arrested, to be hated, just to tell people about Christ. He didn't have to live the way he lived. He didn't have to spend two years rotting in prison. So why did he? His life... And the way he lived his life made people question why he was different. So here's what we got to ask. Does our life do that? Do people say the way, see the way that we live and think there's something different about them? Why do they live that way? Why do they give up their Sunday morning to come to a church that the air conditioner has been broken for a month because we can't get the parts in, to hear this, this guy yell and scream for an hour and a half, not going to be an hour and a half today, I promise you we'll be out of here by 12, midnight. But why do we come and hear this guy fuss at us? Why do they, why do they, do, why do they give up their Sunday morning when they can just sleep late and go to brunch and maybe go catch a movie and just relax? Why do they do that? Why do we treat people the way we do, if you treat them properly. If you treat them like garbage, please don't let people know you're a Christian. But if you treat people well, if you respect people and you're kind to people and you're forgiving to people who hurt you, people should look at us and say, why, why are they so different? What makes them want to live that way? What makes them treat people the way they do? What makes them give of themselves and of their time and their treasures? Why do we have hope? in the middle of pain? Why are we patient and forgiving to those who hurt us? Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, But sanctify the Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give an answer to every man who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with gentleness and fear. Peter says you should, you should live your life in such a way that people look at you, look at you in person. Because 1 Peter is all about living in persecution. People should look at you when you're being persecuted and you're being hurt and you don't know what's going on and you're in pain and they should see hope in you and they should say, what gives you the hope that you have? Your life is falling apart. The doctors gave you a bad report. Your finances are a mess. Why do you have the hope that you do? And Peter says, always be ready to tell people it's because of Christ in me. Does your life make people question why your faith is so strong? Our lives should provoke questions from the lost. You know, Peter and Paul, they show us that we can provoke these questions through several things that we do. You can provoke those questions in how you work, your job. You know, if you have a job, yes, your job is there to help support your family, to pay your bills, to save for retirement, all those things. We need those things. 
you're also in your job to share the gospel. And do people, if you, if people look at how you work and think, we work for the biggest jerk in the world. He treats us poorly. He pays us garbage. He doesn't care about us. But man, you always, you always give 110%. You're always doing as much as you can. You're always kind to him. You're always willing to step up and, and fill in wherever you can. Does the way you work make people say, there's something different about that person? We can show it in how we handle disappointment and pain. You know, the, the best opportunities for us to show and share the gospel is when we're hurting. We're going to see that in a, few, in a little bit. Pain and disappointment are the best way to share the gospel. Anybody can be happy when things are going great. But when life is a mess and you're losing everything and you're hurting and you're in disappointment, when we can still have joy during pain, it shows people we have something different and we can share the gospel with them. We can show it in how generous we are, not just with our, with our money, but with our time and our talents. You know, the way you, you know, people, you, we, we, one of our most precious commodities now is our time. Nobody wants to give up time because we don't have a lot of it. We got work and school. We got all this stuff. So when someone asks you, hey, can you, can you come help me move? The first thing you think of is, oh, Lord, give me an excuse why I can't come help you. Because, look, I don't, I don't, I don't want to help anybody. I, look, I don't want to move. That's why, you know, during this whole, uh, the last couple years when the, housing market was so high. I had realtors calling me every month saying, hey, we can sell your house for three times what you owe on it. That's wonderful. That's great. Even if you did that, I couldn't afford to buy another house. And if I could, I don't want to move. I don't want to move. So if I ever do sell my house, everything stays in it. And I'm just going to buy brand new when I get to Florida because that's where I'm going. So that's, that's my plan. So if you ever, you know, when I leave, everybody, whoever buys my house, buys everything in it, including the two old people in the basement. Uh, but anyway, so and, and how we, but we, we guard our time and how we generously are with our time. It's like, man, I don't have a lot of time, but I'll, I'll give it up to help someone else, to be a blessing to someone else. But not only that, in, in the way we give up our finances, you know, most believers, according to a recent study, most believers give 2.4% of their income to the kingdom of God. I'm going to do a little math lesson for you. Bible commands us to tithe a 10% of our increase. 2.4% is not 10%. So you're harping on that. Not yet, but I will. 2.4% the average believer gives to the church. The average non-believer gives 2% of their income to charity. Does 0.4% sound like enough for people to go, why do you give so much? It's not that much more than the, other, than the, than the, the unsaved world. The way we are generous with our, our time and our talents and our treasure should, should be challenging to people. Be challenging in how you live. Live in a way that makes people question, how can you live like that? How can you forgive like that? How can you worship like what makes You're in pain, but you're joyful. How? Because look, Paul here, he's been in prison two years, but he's still got the passion for God that when he's finally called before the governor, he still preaches the gospel. Be challenging in how you live. Second thing, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 26. Not only be challenging, but number two, seize 
opportunity. So Paul, he comes before Agrippa. Now Agrippa has called him here to say, Paul, give me your case. Why are, you, why are they arresting you? Why are they mad at you? I want to know what's going on. Paul doesn't plead his case. Paul shares the gospel. He uses his opportunity to share the gospel with a Roman governor. At the end of his message, he goes through, again, he talks about the Jewish prophets and how they all pointed to Christ and how they were just a picture or a shadow of what was to come. And he finishes by saying, look at verse number, 26, uh, verse number 27. This is how he finishes his message. <clears throat> i got to turn there. A page are stuck together. There we go. All right. New Bible. Always have that problem. So verse 27. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. And Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I Except these bonds. So Paul, uh, he presents the gospel. Here's the thing. Agrippa was an ethnic Jew. He was like Paul. He was an ethnic Jew. He was a Roman citizen. So Agrippa knew about the prophets. He was around eight years old when Jesus died and was, was resurrected. And he says, hey, Agrippa, you've heard me preach this. You've heard me talk about Christ. You've, you've heard me show how the Old Testament prophets pointed to him. Do you believe that Christ is the Messiah. And Agrippa, he, he says probably one of the saddest verses in all Bible. You almost persuaded me to believe. Now when you look at it in the Greek, what he's saying is, Paul, if we had more time, if we could discuss this more, I bet I'd, I bet I'd believe. I bet you would convince me to put my faith and trust in God. And here's what Paul says. Paul says, I wish everyone who hears me preach would believe like I believe, would be like me, saved by the grace of God, passionate for sharing the gospel. He said, would be like me, accept these bonds. Because I wish everybody who heard me would be like me, just not in prison. I wish they would be passionate about sharing the gospel. Paul's life is on the line. He has a chance to plead his case before this governor and be freed because he's not done anything wrong. Instead of being taken to Rome in chains, but instead he says, I'm going to use this opportunity to preach the gospel to a high-ranking Roman official. Paul used every opportunity he had to share the truth of the gospel. No matter who he was talking to, no matter what he was facing, no matter what he endured, he said, I'm going to use every opportunity to share the gospel. Can the same thing be said about us? Can it be said, no matter who they talk to, they always shared the gospel with them? Whether it was talking to them, giving them a track, whatever. But it says, everybody they talked to, every opportunity they had, they used that opportunity to share the gospel. Wherever you work, again, God didn't put you there just to make money. He put you there to share the gospel. Now, don't violate any laws. Don't violate any work rules. I don't say go into work tomorrow, jump up on your boss's desk and start preaching the gospel to him. You know, be like John, repent! You know, don't do that. But live your life in such a way 
And every time you have an opportunity to talk to a coworker over lunch, on a break, they have an issue, especially if they have a problem, you can go and say, hey, can I pray for you? Use every opportunity to share the truth of the gospel. Third thing, look at Acts chapter 27. Third thing that the Spirit wants us to do is number three, embrace the sovereignty of God. So after they hear Festus and Agrippa, they, they hear Paul's argument. They hear Paul preach the gospel. They, they put him in a boat and ship him to Rome so he can stand before Caesar. But the boat gets hit by a hurricane. And it doesn't sink yet, but they all think it is. They, they end up throwing off all the cargo, throwing off everything they can to try to stay afloat. And they end up drifting. The boat is broken. The mast is broken. They can't sail. They can't steer. So they end up drifting at sea for a month. Things get pretty bad. Look at verse number uh, 21 in chapter 27. But after a long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not loosed from Crete and, not have gained, and, and to have gained this harm and loss. So here's what Paul says. Paul says, look, I told you guys we shouldn't have sailed. I told you that if we sailed from Crete, going to Rome right now, that bad things would happen. Now, when you are trapped at sea for a month, people are, are scared. People are starting to get hungry. It's probably not the best time to say, I told you so. But that's what Paul does. Paul says, I told you we shouldn't have done this. Look at verse number 22. <clears throat> and now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there, is, uh, for there is, shall be no loss of any man's life among you but the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I who, uh, am. I, I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given all them to thee with, that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. So Paul tells me, Look, I told you we shouldn't have come, but don't worry, because God came to me and God told me I'm going to make it to Rome and so are every single one of you. That this is God's plan and God's purpose. Paul did not let the storm make him doubt God's control over every aspect of his life. He saw the storm as God arranging an opportunity, once again, for him to share his faith and be a witness to these people who are in the storm with him. See, verse 37 tells us that in this boat, in this storm, there were 275 other people. Some of them were prisoners, some of them were soldiers, some of them were travelers. But here's the thing, 275 people were in the storm with Paul. And Paul, from the storm, was able to witness to them and encourage them and give them hope. As a fellow traveler, he had a unique platform to share the gospel with these people. See, as a Christian, God does not keep you from storms. If you're, if you're talking to someone or someone's preaching, they say, man, if you accept Christ, then your life will be easy and God will never make you go through trouble again. They are lying to you. Because Jesus says, take up, my, take up your cross. And, follow. and the cross was a, a bad thing. 
Paul says, you're going to, you're going to suffer persecution for Christ. So God says, I'm not going to shield you or protect you from the storms, but I am going to use the storm to help the lost and dying world. Because when you are in a storm... And you can show the lost world that even in pain and hurt and heartache, you have hope. That is an incredible witnessing tool. Paul had a great perspective because, look, he's on the boat too. He's hungry too. He's drifting too. But he says, God's going to take care of me and God's going to take care of you. He showed that no matter what he was facing, he still had hope. Hope. It is showing the lost world what the presence of God looks like in a storm. It's when you're facing cancer, it's saying, My body is in pain, but I still have hope. Because even if the worst happens and I die, one day I'm gonna I'm gonna shed this mortal body. I'm going to open my eyes up and see my Savior face to face, and I'll have no more pain. I'll have no more tears. I'll have no more cancer. I will be completely healed one day. It's while standing at the grave of a lost loved one saying, Bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits. Because he heals our diseases, he forgives our sins, he redeems our life, and he crowns us with love and mercy. It's when you're hurt, when you're mistreated, when you're forgotten, it's saying, though all forsake me, God will never leave me. He is always there with me. See, it's easier to proclaim hope to someone who's in a storm when you've been in one yourself than trying to give hope to someone you've never experienced it. You know, someone's going through pain and you've never experienced their pain. You can't say, well, I know how you feel because you don't know how they feel. But when you've been through the storm... You can say, I know what you're going through, and I can give you some hope that I had in that storm. See, maybe you're in a situation, you're in a storm that you created. Say, what can I do there? Well, here's the thing. When you are broken by your sin, you can still proclaim the forgiveness and the healing of God. You don't need to be perfect to share the gospel. Your most powerful testimony is the one in the storm. So here's the fourth thing, and we're going to finish up in Acts chapter 28. Fourth thing we learn about Paul. Number four, live on mission. Live on mission. So Paul, he gets to Rome, and he gets there, and he's not able to see Caesar yet, but they don't want to let him go, uh, but they don't want to put him in prison, so they don't really know what to do with him. So Paul... Uh, he rents a home uh, in Rome by himself. He, he rents a house, and the Roman government puts him under house arrest. And so he's, he's, he's in prison of sorts. I mean, it's not a Roman prison. It's not the prison in Jerusalem. But he, he can't leave his house, so he's under house arrest for two years. Look what happens in verse number, chapter 28, verse 30. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house, and received all that came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. So he's under house arrest, but he rents a house. But while he's there, again, 
Paul's life is confusing. It's, it's weird to people. So people all over Rome are coming to see him. People from all over the world hear about him and they come to Rome because they want to, he, they want to see this Paul guy. He's kind of an anomaly. So people come to see him and everybody that comes to see him, you know what he does? He preaches the gospel to him. Believers that come to him, he teaches them the word of God, shows them how to live their life. He was a strange guy, and he, but he uses every opportunity to preach the gospel. And he saw a lot of people saved through his efforts. Now, it's a great ending to the book of Acts, but it's kind of left on a cliffhanger. We don't know if he gets to see Caesar. We don't know what happens. Now, let, the letter to the Romans indicates that while he's in Rome waiting to see Caesar, he's writing these letters, he wants to go to Spain to preach the gospel in Spain. But the book of Acts ends on a cliffhanger. We don't know what happens to Paul, according to Acts. We don't know what happens to his dreams. That's because the book of Acts isn't about Paul, and it isn't about his dreams. It's about the Spirit of God and the gospel going forth. Now, because of history and other letters in the New Testament, we know that Paul is eventually released. He does get to Spain, but he's arrested again, and eventually he's beheaded by Nero. Why not record that? Why not tell us that in the book of Acts? Because this is God's way of telling the Neros of the world, you can imprison the Pauls of the world, you can kill the Pauls of the world, but you can never stop the Spirit of God. You can never stop the gospel from going forth. Paul is dead, but the Spirit of God still remains. Here we are in Roanoke 2,000 years later, and we are here for a purpose. We are here to share the gospel with everyone we can, with the lost in our community and in our world. We are here to reach people that no one else is reaching by doing things no one else is doing. So I want to give you four ways you can live on mission for God. Number one, live on mission and you're inviting people. Take risks when inviting people to church, look, we've got some stuff coming up. I don't know if y'all are aware of this. You should be aware of this. But October 21st, we celebrate our five-year anniversary here at New Grace. We are going to work hard. We're going to do an Invite Your One. I'm going to be pushing the devil out of you to invite people to church. I'm going to badger you. If I have to, I'm going to yell at you. I'm going to do whatever I got to do to get you to invite people to church. But hey, I want to tell you a secret. You don't have to wait to the five-year anniversary to do it. You can invite people next Sunday. Well, what's next Sunday, preacher? It's church. Who cares? But get bold in your inviting. Say, God, who do you want me to invite? Invite your coworkers, your neighbors, your family, your friends. Invite everyone you can because here's what happens. Because they've done studies on this. I can go out and I can knock every single door in Roanoke and invite people personally to church. You know how many are going to come? Out of 100 people, you know how many are going to come? Maybe one. You go invite 10 people that you know and have a relationship with. Statistically, you know how many are going to come? Nine. So why are you going to make me knock every door in Roanoke? Just talk to the people you know. But when you invite them and they come, it grows your faith. 
It increases your faith in God. And it helps you see God work in people's lives. So live on mission and you're inviting. Number two, live, live on mission in your service. Give back to areas that have been given to you. If someone in the church has been a blessing to you, be a blessing to someone else. We have plenty of places you can serve. You want to serve in the nursery and children's church. We've got our Sunday night children's program coming up. You want to help in that? Great. We need, we need people to help in Sunday school for nursery. We need people to help on Sunday nights during uh, growth group for nursery. We need help in these areas. So help in the community cupboard. Help in the, the closet. Help with restoring Hope Roanoke. Live on mission in your service. Number three, live on mission in your generosity. God does not need your money, but New Grace does. So don't say, oh, well, God don't need, no, he doesn't, no, he don't, we do. It takes money to keep this thing. Look, this air conditioner is going to be fixed. I, I don't know, I, now look, hopefully the insurance is going to accept the claim, but even if they do, if they do accept it, that's still a, a big bill we got to pay. Costs money to do that. Costs money to keep the lights on. We have three electric bills at this property. We have one for the lights in the parking lot, one for this building, and one for the fellowship hall. We have two water bills. And you know what? I love the water company because they will call me and say, Pastor Minix, we just wanted you to know that for the last three months, you've been using 20 gallons an hour because a toilet you never go to has been running. Thanks for waiting three months, water company, for telling me that. But they, they, so it takes money to run. Look, it takes money to print up tracks to invite people, to witness to people, to pay our missionaries, to go where we can't go. So it takes time, it takes effort, it takes money. And look, I'm going to be offering, honest with you. Since COVID, our offerings have dipped. So are you worried? I'm not worried. I know all the money that we need to do what God wants us to do is in the bank. It's just in your bank. We got to get it in ours. But live on mission in your generosity. Number four, live on mission in your faith. Believe God for the future of the church and the future of the gospel. That friend that you have that you say that friend will never darken the doors of a church. Pray for him. Pray that they would. Pray that God would use you to get the gospel to them. Believe God for people in your life. See, Acts doesn't really end because it's still being written. It ends on a cliffhanger because we are the next chapter. Paul got the gospel to Rome. Will we allow God to use us to get the gospel to our community? See, the same spirit that, God, that Paul had, we have. God wants us to use us the same way he used Paul, but we have to live the same way. We have to be challenging. We have to seize opportunities. We have to trust God's sovereignty, and we have to live on mission. Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.